0: This podcast series is made possible by a grant from Intuitive, maker of the da Vinci and Ion Surgical Robotic Systems. The Intuitive Foundation is dedicated to promoting the advancement of STEM educational programs, medical and technology research, healthcare training, and fellowship programs.
1: Welcome to our podcast, Women in STEAM, Perspectives from the Field. I'm your host, Aspen slava Erlock, and with much honor, I'm pleased to bring Kim DeGrow on our show today to speak with us about her experiences as a materials research engineer for NASA and as a woman of STEAM. Welcome to the podcast, Kim. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to participate. Thank you so much for coming. So to start us off, I remember you telling me recently about the Missy flight experiments that test the performance and durability of spacecraft materials. Would you mind recapping for us what it is that you've been working on
0: with Missy? Sure, I'd be happy to. So I conduct research on the durability of spacecraft materials in the space environment, and that means I determine if materials that spacecraft designers use to build spacecraft will be damaged or whether they will be durable in the space environment. The research can be conducted using either ground laboratory testing or in-space flight experiments. And I have flown spaceflight experiments uh, since the early 1990s. My early experiments were flown in the shuttle Cargo Bay and on the Russian space station Mirror. Since 2001, my experiments have flown on the outside or exterior of the International Space Station as part of a series of missions called the Missy Missions. And Missy is the abbreviation for the Materials International Space Station Experiment. So, since 2001, I have flown 17 MISI experiments with 685 flight samples. The Missy experiments that are currently being flown on space station are on a relatively new permanent platform called the Missy Flight Facility. And I have five experiments with 367 samples that have flown on the Missy Flight Facility. 42 of the samples are currently up on orbit. The majority of my samples have been flown and retrieved. So what I'm currently doing is post-flight analyses of these space flight experiments.
1: Wow, that's incredible. So I remember that the last time we spoke, you told me a bit about atomic oxygen and other environmental threats that take place and affect spacecraft materials. And I'm curious what kind of deterioration takes place when these materials are usually durable on Earth, but now they're up in the space environment.
0: Right, so even though space is technically a vacuum environment, there are, as you mentioned, many harmful environmental exposures that can damage exterior spacecraft materials. Um, In low-Earth orbit, which is where Space Station, the Hubble Space Telescope, and Earth-observing satellites orbit, these threats include different kinds of radiation, such as phone-town radiation, ultraviolet radiation, X-rays from solar flares, charged particle radiation, and cosmic rays. There's also temperature extremes and orbital thermal cycling. Debris impacts... And there's exposure to atomic oxygen, which are highly reactive oxygen atoms. Um, these environmental exposures can result in erosion, embrittlement, and optical property degradation of susceptible materials that threatens the spacecraft performance and durability. Wow,
1: that that sounds largely different from the, from the what we experience here on Earth. Um, now. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but from my understanding of just everything that we've talked about previously and your work with misty missions that I've I've kind of looked through, um, your work has mostly aimed to be able to quantify how quickly certain materials are deteriorating and degrading in space. So with that knowledge, is it reasonable to assume that different environmental threats can cause different rates of embrittlement?
0: Yeah, actually – Different environmental threats can cause different types of degradation for spacecraft materials. For example, atomic oxygen exposure, which occurs primarily on the leading edge of the spacecraft or in the direction of travel, can cause erosion or material loss. So some materials, such as polymers, which are often used on the outside of spacecraft, can literally erode away over time due to oxidation reaction with atomic oxygen. So atomic action is a serious threat to spacecraft survivability. And radiation exposure can cause a different kind of reaction. It can cause mechanical and optical property degradation to the spacecraft materials. Mechanical property degradation can result in embrittlement and cracking of these materials. And often the degree of embrittlement is impacted by the thermal extremes that occur during the orbital cycling. For example, Teflon, which is used for thermal insulation blankets, can become more embrittled and crack uh, to a greater degree when the temperature is hotter on orbit. Radiation exposure can also cause color changes, making a sample darker. And darker materials will heat up more in space, which can be a problem. So different kinds of exposures can cause different kinds of degradation in the space environment.
1: Oh, good to know. So with all this incredible work that you've done with Missy and your other research materials projects, where does all of this research go and how is it used elsewhere in the field?
0: Right. So um, after I conduct some research, I document my results um, in publications, book chapters and handbooks, and I give presentations on the results of these spaceflight experiments at space conferences. Spacecraft designers, Uh, at NASA and at Space Industry, use my flight data to select materials for spacecraft design. Um, And I know that my materials research has been used for numerous spacecraft, which I find very exciting. Um, And a few examples are the operational land imager for the uh, Landsat program. Uh, Global Precipitation Measurement, Microwave Imager, which is part of the Global Precipitation Mission. Um, There's one called the Joint Polar Satellite System. And uh, numerous other instruments that we're aware of, both Earth observing and other ones, have used my data for their material selection. Um, Also, NASA has a docking system when we docked with other spacecraft. And uh, various space station components. So, so all of that to me is, uh, of course, very exciting. Now, I get contacted by spacecraft designers on a pretty regular basis, um, and they ask for my advice on material selection for various spacecraft that they're designing. And uh, just this past year, I've been uh, working with and helping Ball Aerospace, the Air Force Research Lab, Corning Advanced Optics, Maxar. Um, And numerous other um, spacecraft designers, including Blue Origin, um, and they're building um, an orbital wreath space station that's going to be like a, um, a destination for people to go up like the hotel in space. So that's kind of been a fun one to work on. Um, I also give advice to um, organizations that are international. In this past year, I provided information to the Royal Belgian Institute for Space, Kobe University in Japan, and a company in Italy called Avotech. So um, it's really exciting that my my research is used here in the United States, but it's also used uh, internationally, too.
1: That's incredible. I like the hotel up in space bit. I didn't even know that, that was a project they were working on. So, switching gears a bit, I'm curious to learn more about the collaboration between NASA and the Hathaway Brown High School girls. And I find it absolutely incredible that these students have the opportunity to participate in NASA research projects, as well as authoring even in technical publications and earning scholarships. That's just, that's you know, over the moon to me. Um, And so as an on-site mentor and a a team leader for this program, do you think that it's had an impact on the young women of STEAM that have been able to join in this collaboration between NASA and uh, Hathaway Brown?
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, So our team, which included 31 students from 1989 to 2018, was called the Peace Team. And we we called ourselves that because we initially worked on an experiment called the Polymers Erosion and Contamination Experiment. So that's standard for PEACE. And um, we know that this collaboration has had a positive impact on the PEACE team students in numerous year, uh, ways over the years. So in addition to learning to conduct research and write research papers and present research at national and international conferences, We know the students have gained confidence, which is a consistent obstacle for women in STEAM. Um, Hathaway Brown School conducted a 20th anniversary survey with the alumni, and one survey question was, how did the research program play a role in your education, career, or personal development? And one of our Peace Team students answered by saying, every which way? it set off a chain reaction. The biggest takeaway is probably the confidence we gained. So that was really great to hear, of course. Now the Peace Team students, uh, they did participate in national and international science fairs, which you kind of mentioned, and that resulted in over $60,000 in scholarships uh, for college. And we know that their participation also impacted their college applications. Uh, another one of the survey responses um, stated that our success on the peace team definitely led to my being awarded a significant merit scholarship to Johns Hopkins, plus an extra open ended $10,000 stipend to conduct research, which kickstarted my career in energy. So that, that's another thing. When I got to read some of these answers, uh, it was so wonderful to see. The impact uh, of the program on the students and I went back and I looked at the numbers and it looks like approximately 60% of the peace team students have received some kind of a steam degree, often at prestigious schools like MIT Princeton, Yale and West Point. So we, we know that this has had a really big impact on the students.
1: Oh, that's fabulous. It's It's amazing to see that something like that fostered such passion and curiosity and creativity, you know to keep it going through those fields even from high school. So that's that's incredible to me. And you know, kind of on that on that same bender on that same topic, after hearing you talk about the messy experiments and materials in space with such passion, I've got to ask, what got you interested in material science in the first place?
0: Well, that's that's a fun question. So, Um, I guess in my youth, I always did well in math, and I loved art, and um, as a college freshman at Michigan State University, I also developed an interest in chemistry and atomic physics, and I thought engineering would be a kind of good combination of these fields. Um, Luckily, Michigan State University had a course that was called Introduction to Careers in Engineering. And that course was like very helpful and very informative. It was very interesting. During one of the classes, the chairman of the Department of Material Science showed us this uh, piece of special wire called shape memory alloy. And he took this wire and he crumpled it into a crumpled up ball. And then he got out a lighter and he heated one end, and it turned into a magical. He turned it turned magically into a beautiful coil, and uh, he straightened it out and he heated it again, and it turned back into this perfect coil. And I just thought that was really fascinating. So, so that actually is what got me interested in in trying material science as a as a. Um, you know, field of uh, study at the College of Engineering at Michigan State, and I ended up loving my material science classes. And then between my junior and senior years, um, I did get a summer job working in my field conducting metallurgical failure analyses at a company called Clark Equipment Company, and that laboratory hands-on work helped me to decide that I really wanted to have a career in material science, because I love to work in the lab and use the microscopes. And so that was, that was very helpful also.
1: That's wonderful. And overall, you know, including college and, you know, anything else, um, maybe earlier on, what's been your experience overall growing up as a woman in
0: STEAM? Well, I, I've been very fortunate. Um, I would say that uh, my career challenges primarily have been academic in nature. Um, Sometimes there have been some difficult classes in college, uh, technically challenging problems at work. Um, And I've been very fortunate that I've never run into anybody who indicated I couldn't succeed in this non-traditional career as I know, as I know other women have. So, so I've been encouraged supported by my parents, uh, my college professors and friends, and my husband. And um, it was really helpful also during my undergraduate uh, degree. The chairman of the department, the one who actually showed me the shape, memory, alloy, he was also my senior thesis advisor. And he was very encouraging for me to pursue a graduate degree in material science at Michigan State University. And and he offered a three-quarter time research fellowship for me to work on a master's degree at Michigan State. And, and that was very unique and very supportive and helpful. So, so that was great. And then once I, I came to NASA Glenn, um, I was hired by a supervisor, a, a gentleman, who was very supportive of and hired many women researchers. Um, I believe we were one of the first branches at NASA Glenn that had 50% of the research staff being female. So, So that was wonderful too. So personally, I, I've had a very excellent experience with my um, steam career, and and I've been very grateful for that too.
1: Oh, that's that's good to hear. I'm also glad to hear that you didn't experience any of the. You know trials and tribulations of being told you can't do something just because it hasn't been done before, so that's inspiring yeah. to me um and I'm kind of curious, you know it sounds like you were supported like you said pretty consistently, but did you experience any shifts as a woman of steam, like entering your field with material science and with NASA, or did that support and that encouragement kind of stay the same throughout your career
0: no i I absolutely did experience some shifts because. I've I've essentially been in the field, if you count my uh, graduate program for 35 years. And uh, at Michigan State University, I, I was the only female and also the only American that was pursuing a graduate degree in material science back in 1987. So um, I was surrounded by gentlemen back then. And then as a young researcher at NASA Glenn, back in the 1980s and early 1990s I could often be the only female in a project meeting which was a uh, very um kind of a little intimidating at first but you know I got used to it very quick and it didn't it didn't bother me um and now I would say that there are approximately 50% uh women and 50% men, men working on most projects um one of the older buildings that I worked on back in the 1990s was called the Prop House. It's actually the oldest building here on our NASA Glenn campus. And so I was doing some some work in that building for a while. And I, there was a handwritten sign taped over a teeny tiny third floor men's bathroom, converting it into the only women's bathroom in the building. So, um, you know, back then there were not... <laughs> It wasn't always a lot of support for women in all these buildings, and um, NASA's really been very proactive in hiring women and minorities since the 1990s. So I've definitely seen a big shift towards more women and more minorities, and and I guess women's bathrooms too at NASA Glenn over the years.
1: <laughs> That's wild. I would I wouldn't have guessed that of all things, like to hire women in the first place, but yet not have a restroom for women. That's strange. <laughs> And then I guess, you know, in addition to probably more women's bathrooms and more accessibility for people in general, what do you hope for the future of young women entering STEAM fields?
0: Well, of course, I I certainly hope that all young women who are interested in STEAM fields are encouraged to pursue those fields and, and that they get the support they need to be successful in their chosen fields. And they get equal opportunities to work in them and equal pay, too. I've been fortunate that i've I've always received equal pay for my my work, so um so i again I'm fortunate, but that's not true for everyone but I would say ideally, I would hope that one day gender gender is n- is not a topic we think to even correlate with steam fields that would be my biggest hope for the future, i guess
1: I like that I like that a lot because it it takes away the idea of like oh, you know, this is a woman entering a, a, you know, a field within STEAM. It's just, no, she's working in STEAM as she should That's if right. she wants to. Exactly. Yes. And so I guess there's there's a, a common debate that we've had, I guess, in the podcast here for a while um, about, you know, what might happen, what we hope would happen, what we try to, you know, make happen of what we can do with our present time now. And if I were to ask you, I guess, a more realistic expectation versus – you know, what you think what would happen versus what you hope would happen. Um, do you think that there's anything that can be done now or any proactivity that we can implement at this current time in STEAM um, to improve, you know, how women stand or, or where they stand in uh, in the STEAM field? Maybe more representation or maybe more education, kind of like the, the programs that are still in place. Do you think anything can be done to help that? Well,
0: I do think that there's been great improvements over the year, but there's certainly room for a few further improvement, too. Um, there are many organizations, such as the Soci- Society of Women Engineers, which is also called SWE, and the National Academy of Engineering that work really hard to encourage young girls to pursue steam fields. So um, I think these organizations are very helpful. And their resources need to be shared more with schools. So I'm a member of both of those. And whenever I get a flyer that they're looking for activities with students that could be a local competition, I always forward those on to our local school system. And, and so I think that could be done more. Um, I, I think that having a women mentors who work in the field is, is very helpful. And, and so I think it would be great if more businesses had structured mentor programs with the female mentors. I think that'd be really good. And then we talked about Hathaway Brown and their student research and engineering program. It, it's been amazingly successful. And I, I think it'd be wonderful if more schools could develop research programs like that to help give young women the confidence to pursue STEAM fields. So ideally, um, I think that would be really great. And I actually, I think that your Women in STEAM podcast is an excellent resource to help encourage young women to pursue STEAM fields. So we, we need more inventive and supportive programs like yours, to be honest. So uh, congratulations on you putting together such a great program. Ah, uh, thank
1: you so much, Kim. I'm I'm sure I, I know I told you that we have it as a part of our Steam Girls program here at Shortcrest. So I think it's also a really good program to kind of connect mentors like yourself with aspiring Steam Girls, whether they're in our audience or within our Steam Girls um team here for interviewing people. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Well, Kim, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. It's been incredible to hear and learn more about the space environment and enlightening to hear your perspectives as a woman of STEAM. And I really appreciate you carving out the time to speak with
0: us. So thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Bye. The Women in STEAM Perspectives from the Field podcast series is a student production of Shorecrest Preparatory School. Theme composed by Julia Lagakis, class of 2021. Artwork by Shannon Ross, Class of 2021. Host, Aspen Slavik-Gyrlak, Class of 2022. This podcast series is made possible by a grant from Intuitive, maker of the Da Vinci and Ion Surgical Robotic Systems. The Intuitive Foundation is dedicated to promoting the advancement of STEM educational programs, medical and technology research, healthcare training, and fellowship programs.